So they brought the big kids in and it was just this beautiful moment, you know, of togetherness and our family. And we were just really soaking it in. Um, breastfeeding was going really well. There were no, no red flags, no, no indications of what was about to happen next. Hello and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Hello and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas today. Well, I could just have a special guest on the podcast. She's here in Texas as well. And my guest today is Amanda. Amanda, would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, uh, my name is Amanda Bartlett, and I'm super excited to be here. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I had a friend actually reach out to me and say, you might want to talk to Amanda. I think she would love to come on the podcast. And I was like, yes, thank you. So I'm so glad she hooked us up. Shout out to Melissa. Um, (laughs) But would you mind telling um, the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So I'm a registered nurse and my focus after my trauma has become maternal child health. And so um, I am just trying really hard to take one step at a time. I'm a small fish in a big sea and just trying to make maternal health care better. There's mm-hmm. a lot of concerns um, surrounding it, uh, especially here in the United States. And so that's my goal. So, but yes, I live here in Texas. I have three beautiful kiddos. I've been married for almost 12 years, which is hard to believe. Um, yes. So yeah, that's me. All right. Well, that's awesome. And I know it may feel, you know, sometimes very difficult when you feel like a small fish in a big, huge sea, but mm-hmm. you're making a difference, even if it's just in one person's life, it's a big difference. So I just want to say, keep it up for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you. So tell me a little bit um, how you got into this work, if you don't mind, uh, if you want to start with your your kind of personal journey into motherhood or. Yeah, sure. So um, I always knew that I wanted to be a mom. Um, I think maybe a lot of little kids, a lot of little girls, you know, know they want to be a mom. And I had, I was in nursing school when I found out that my husband and I were expecting our first kiddo and he is nine now. Um, And fortunately, nursing school could be pretty intense. So it was towards the end of it. So I had graduated and then had him. So Mm. that was wonderful. (laughs) You made it. Uh, I made it. So with, with nursing, initially, I was really interested in critical care. I had done an internship for the last year of my nursing program um, in the NICU and absolutely loved it. So I was starting to lean towards maternal child care at that point in time. But it was kind of one of those things where I was 
new grad, kind of teetering, new mom, just in this brand new stage of life. And so didn't initially take take those steps. <clears throat> so growing up as a small kiddo, I had always dreamed of having a natural birth. I wanted to have a water birth. Um, I wanted it to be this beautiful experience. I wanted it to be all natural. And when I was pregnant with my son, um, his name is TJ. Mm -hmm. When I was pregnant with TJ, uh, about 35 weeks, almost 36, I went into prodromal labor. So that is just where you contract and contract and contract mm -hmm. and they can't stop it. And um, so I was having contractions about every five to seven minutes and had been hospitalized twice to try to slow them down. And at that point, it kind of washed out my chances of a natural birth. And, uh, you know, it was it was my body was already going through something. I was preterm still. So it was a little disappointing. Um, but you know, I, I had TJ, um, he was 30, born at 36 weeks and six days and we didn't really have any complications. Uh, my doctor did, uh, decide to induce at that time just because towards the end into the 36 weeks, my blood pressure started to spike. Mm -hmm. So at that time, my doctor just kind of called it and said, I think the best thing to do is induce. So uh, we went ahead and we did that. We did get pushback from one of the doctors. He was the doctor on call and he was very rude to my husband and I, and he made us feel like we had no idea what we were doing. And like my doctor was just trying to push us off. So she didn't have to deal with the complications that I was now developing. And basically he was just a jerk. I know. He was just so rude. So my husband at that point in time spoke up, which I just love my husband. He's, he's the type of person who, can only take so much and then he'll be very blunt and he'll be like, okay, so what are we going to do? <laughs> very, very much an implementer and a planner. So at that point, the doctor was like, well, it's fine, whatever. I'll just follow what your doctor wants and we'll just induce. So I went ahead and was induced. And then by Saturday lunchtime. I still have to sound like an awful mom. I don't necessarily remember the times that my kids were born. <laughs> oh, that's not an awful mom. <laughs> You're in labor land. I mean, why would you remember times? Right. So TJ was born uh, sometime in the noon hour. And um, it was a pretty easy delivery. Um, you know, just a few pushes and he came out. Um. And so there were really no other complications um, from there. With <clears throat> so he turned, he was just under a year. And my husband and I started talking about having a second baby. 
So knowing that things got a little hairy towards the end of TJ's pregnancy, I was kind of already prepping myself. And I felt like the chances of having a home birth were still way out the window Mm -hmm. at this point in time. So honestly, I didn't even go down that, that avenue. And I'm glad I did because with my second kiddo, her name is Sophie. During my pregnancy with her, I began um, contracting and went into preterm labor when she was, I think, 29 or 30 weeks. And so I was placed on bed rest and was taking uh, progesterone tablets to try to help ward it off and to keep her in as best as possible. So the, the labor, or I'm sorry, the pregnancy progressed and I was just trying to do my best to stay on bed rest with a little toddler And it was super stressful. Um, And I ended up being hospitalized, I think, three times, three or four times because of uh, the contractions. There would be times where my contractions would be two to three minutes apart. Mm. So, and I was having a hard time talking through that, you know, all the things that you look for when somebody is going into labor. So... Um, by 35 weeks, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, my blood pressure started to elevate again and we just continued with bed rest and like trying to relax. And it was one of those things where it wasn't consistently high. It would just spike every once in a while. And so my doctor wasn't super concerned about it at the time. Mm-hmm. And as a nurse, I was like, okay, it's like, you know, intermittent. It's not something that's like consistent. Um, But so anyways, with Sophie, I remember I started contracting again. And at this point, I was 37 weeks and five days. Um, So I was contracting again, really not feeling well, um, in general, I went into my doctor's office and we did, she ran an NST to see if I was contracting and sure enough, I was contracting. And, um, when she checked me, I was, I think a centimeter and a half. So at that point she said, let's just go ahead and induce, you know, your blood pressure has been back and forth. Let's just go ahead and do it. I have a history with TJ and this happening. So, you know, let's call it. Okay. So she said, go home, pack up all your things and then meet me at the hospital. Well, within an hour, I dilated to a four when I, I mean, I got my things, went up to the hospital. And so which was, it was reassuring that my body was able to push itself into labor without medication, you know, just given that I wanted 
natural birth and, and things like that. So it was really reassuring that that was, sure. that was able to do that. So labor with Sophie progressed and really no issues deliver her delivered her the following day at 37 and six. And, um, she was beautiful, you know, just like TJ, she was perfect. We didn't really have any issues. Good. Yeah. <clears throat> so my youngest, there's a little bit of a gap because my husband went back and forth about having an additional baby. And so we started doing natural family planning, but we weren't necessarily like super consistent with it. Mm -hmm. um, you have so to be in order for it to work. <laughs> exactly. So we weren't necessarily doing it correctly, but um, so anyways, um, uh, Ryan, I became pregnant with Ryan and, um, she, the pregnancy with, with her is where my biggest trauma lies mm. and she is four and a half almost. And I still have physical physical effects mm -hmm. from her delivery. I understand that. So at about 25 or 27 weeks, I went into preterm labor again, put on bed rest, put on oral progesterone, um, and just kind of trying to truck along. Mm -hmm. um, I was hospitalized seven times, seven different times with her. And I remember the one weekend I had a headache and it was, it wasn't like a severe headache. It was just like kind of an annoying headache where it's not terrible, but it's there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I had tried to take Tylenol, drinking a ton of water, you know, resting, doing all the, the whole things. migraine. Yeah. All the yes. And it just wouldn't go away. So that was kind of my first, as a nurse, I was kind of like, mm, this mm -hmm. is weird. Blue red flag. Like, yeah. So I kind of started to pay a little bit more attention to what was going on. Um, and at one point in time, I remember seeing these little spots. So you know, when you, when you close your eyes and you look towards the sun and you see those like little floaters. Mm -hmm. So it was just for us. I mean, it wasn't long at all, maybe a second or two. And that was the only time I saw it. And I, I recognized it and I thought, Oh, that's weird. Like, and, mm -hmm. and that was the first time where I was like, okay, maybe I have preeclampsia at this point. So it was a Sunday and I just messaged my doctor through the portal because, you know, they say nurses make the worst patients. Right. And I was, I was like blowing it off. I'm like, it's fine. I'm sure it's nothing. I checked my blood pressure. My blood pressure was normal. It wasn't anything critical. So I like, I wasn't necessarily worried about it. 
So I get a call at eight o'clock on Monday, right when they open. And my doctor's nurse is like, you need to get in here. We need to do labs and we need to do a 24 hour urine collection. Mm. I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So I go to the doctor's office and they do all the things and send me home with a urine collection kit. And I notice throughout the day that I am peeing a bunch to the point where like I filled one jug and had to call for a second. But I noticed that despite all the water I was drinking, my urine was still dark. Mm, uh Oh, and so that was a big red flag. And I thought there's protein in this. I have preeclampsia. I, I, they're gonna, this is my diagnosis at this point. I already know. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll just deal with it. It's not a big deal. Like it's fine. So sure enough, um, the next day I take all my stuff back, my labs come in and I get a call about one o'clock and my doctor's nurse said, you know, you have preeclampsia and you have severe features, um, with all of the things that you're experiencing. And if you start to feel sick, we want you to check your blood pressure, anything um, greater than 130 over, I think it was 90. They said, just go in. If you start to contract anything, anything that you notice, just go in and we're going to induce. So it didn't take long. And by about 130, I started to have those contractions again. Hmm. So I'd called my husband and told him what was going on. And um, he is in commercial sales. So he travels all over West Texas. And at the time he was on the West side of Odessa and we live in Midland. So it takes a hot minute yeah, to get back a bit. Yes. So after my doctor called and I started to feel ill and I told my husband, like, hey, I think you need to come home. Like, this is what's going on. And I knew he was on his way. I had this very, very strong sense that the Lord was telling me, you need to start praying. Mm. And I have never felt um, that sense that strong, I think ever before. I mean, it was, there was like an urgency behind it. So I called a friend of mine and she came over and we were praying together and the, the spirit of the Lord was so strong, so strong in my living room. And I felt better afterwards, but I still had this this sense of urgency and this, this deep leading within myself to continue to pray. So my friend had left, my husband came home and we went up to the hospital and they went ahead and they, sure enough, they induced, they, Mm -hmm. they didn't even, they were done, you know, So 
with all three of my kids, because I had been contracting for so long, you know, they asked, do you want an epidural? And at that point in time, I was like, yes, I am done. I am done. (laughs) You've done enough contractions. (laughs) Just done feeling like this. So I had epidurals um, with all three of my kids. So, um, you know, I mean, it was when I got to Ryan, it was, it was no question that I was going to have one with her. So they gave me an epidural right away. Um, and you know, things were progressing just fine. My, um, when we left the house circling back before we got up to the hospital, when we were leaving the house, we were pulling out of the garage and the spirit of the Lord was like, stop and pray. So I made my husband stop the car and in our driveway and we just started praying and specifically prayed for a nurse that was a follower of Christ, oh, one that would pray um, with me and for me, one who would fight for me and just prayed over the delivery and the remainder of the pregnancy for safety and for protection. And I mean, like, I'll never forget how specific it was in, in my heart to pray for those things. That's when, you know, it's the Holy spirit. Like you're like, I wouldn't even thought to say some of the things I just said. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yep. So after we prayed, we went up to the hospital. Like I said, we, I got admitted right away and got the epidural and labor was progressing. And at one point in time, I got the idea. And you know, it's situations like this where I feel like I say I got the idea. I just feel like the Lord is implanting mm-hmm. like little, <laughs> little seeds, like you should do this next. So I got the idea um, slash felt like the Lord was saying, um, turn on worship music, start to worship me. So um, sure enough, we turned on worship music and I started to feel like, so I started to feel the contractions again. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, I'm, I'm on Pitocin. And so my contractions are getting stronger and stronger. Um, and, you know, I just, at this point, like, I didn't want to feel it. I still was done with all of these contractions for months. So when the nurse came in, she came in just to check and make sure that I was okay. And I told her about, you know, the epidural starting feeling the contractions and, and whatnot. And she said, okay, that's fine. Like, let me get the anesthesiologist. So she got the anesthesiologist. And I noticed when she was in there in, in my room that she started humming along to the worship music. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and I said, I prayed for you. I prayed for a nurse that was a follower of Jesus. I, I prayed for you. And it immediately brought this connection. So when um, 
the nurse brought in the anesthesiologist. She had given me another dose of medication. And at that point, I passed out. Mm. And I was only out for a split second. um, And they brought me back. Um, Prior to, I guess, going out, the nurse inside of me instinctively thought, you're going to have a (laughs) C-section, which I really didn't want, Um, you know, going from a natural birth all the way to a C-section. I mean, man, you know? Yeah. But fortunately, that was not the case. Oh, good. Yeah. So... They brought me back and I'm going to be bold and say this because sometimes I I guess I'm apprehensive sometimes to share this, but I'm going to go ahead and just in this like secure place, um, just share this. When I had passed out, I had gone into this completely white room and standing at a distance but in front of me I saw Jesus Mm. and I saw him with my husband and three children and they were surrounding him and I and I saw Jesus just smiling with this this a love that was just so deep and so great and it's hard to explain but you know that's something that I struggled with because you know I'm like who am I I'm just this little sinner who like here like in front of the Lord who am I you know um you're a daughter of the king (laughs) that's who you are yeah amen so I've held on to that. And, you know, when I, when they brought me back, so to speak, I thought about it and I was like, man, that's, that's, that's weird. It's intense. You know, I don't know what that means. This whole thing leading up to it was clearly spiritual and I, I felt the presence of the Lord. So, so it was kind of one of those things where in the the moments of of labor, I was just like, okay, well, moving on, we'll, we'll recircle back to that after I deliver, you know? <clears throat> so he gave you this overwhelming sense of love though, and protection yeah. and provision, which is what you needed right then. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, that's awesome. And I, and I didn't fully understand. And, you know, retrospectively now I know. Now I know. Um, And, you know, it's all because of things that continued to happen um, through this labor. So labor, after this, labor progresses. um, And my doctor comes in at about, I think, seven or eight the following morning. I hadn't really dilated. Um, I think I was only at one or two centimeters. 
<clears throat> she came in, she broke my water, and within the hour, I was pushing, and baby was born. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, she, again, was beautiful. Um, and really, there were no issues with the actual delivery. So, so I'll never forget, after that, after Ryan was born... My doctor came to the head of my bed and she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, well, the good thing is now you're cured of preeclampsia. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, thank goodness. Cause this has been a rough journey. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm just done. So the my um, older kids came in and met their baby sister and my in-laws were down here at the time they lived in Wisconsin which is where we're we're all from originally so my in-laws were down here uh, they were visiting they were helping knowing that I was in um, preterm labor and we were really struggling especially now with two young children. I mean, it was hard enough with one, um, but now being on bed rest and having two kids and, you know, it was just yeah, that's a lot, a lot. So they brought the big kids in and it was just this beautiful moment, you know, of togetherness and our family. And we were just really soaking it in. Um, breastfeeding was going really well. There were no, no red flags, no, no indications of what was about to happen next. How many days was this after? Um, this was the same day. So I delivered her, I want to say like nine o'clock in the morning ish. And so this was, I think about one o'clock, the big kids came up there. So this is all within the same day. Gotcha. The, um, you know, our family had left and my husband and I were just, you know, basically hanging out, um, until we could go home. And, At about four or five o'clock in the morning, I had fed Ryan again and got up to use the restroom. And as I was walking back, I started to feel weird. I still, four years later, cannot put my finger on how to best describe what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. What I do remember, though, is feeling weird and then a page from my nursing book coming to mind saying a a lot of patients, the first time they have a seizure, they can't describe how they feel. Mm. And I thought, I'm going to have a seizure. And I got back into bed. And the last thing I remember seeing was my husband's back as he put Ryan into the bassinet. Mm. Um, at that point, I had a an eclamptic seizure. So now my preeclampsia that was supposedly cured 
Yeah, because you delivered. That's usually the thing they say. The only cure for eclampsia or preeclampsia is delivery. Uh-huh. Well, that was not the case. <laughs> hmm So I had an, eclamp- an eclamptic seizure. You know, but one of the common misnomers is that eclampsia, eclampsia is a grand mal convulsion. So these huge, huge convulsions, whole body, you know, just very pronounced. And that's not to say that, you know, the majority of the time, that's what it is. In my case, I had a focal seizure that was more subdued and it was missed. The the nurses knew something was wrong, but they weren't quite sure what. Mm. So they called my doctor and the first time they called, she was just kind of like, well, she has preeclampsia. She just needs some love. I don't think they conveyed to her exactly what was going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So then they called again, you know, my doctor had told me they called again, like a minute later and they were like, no, like there's something you wrong. Gotta get up here. Yeah. Yeah. So she got up there and I remember seeing her and, and just to preface all of this, the only clear memory I have is my husband putting Ryan back in the bassinet. Hmm. The rest of this is things that I have been told, or they are fuzzy memories of what I believe of what I remember. Okay. So I do remember my doctor um, coming up to my bed and saying, I think you're in a post-ictal state, which, which is just a fancy way of saying, I think you just had a seizure. So, um, I was out of it. I was a little bit out of it. And I guess at that point they rechecked my blood pressure. And at this point in time, for the first time, it was critical. It was one sixty something over one ten something. I mean, it was, it was critical. So, my doctor had hollered out into the hall for a bag of magnesium for it to be bolused so that I could, um, so it could bring my blood pressure down. And the nurse who went and got it, um, grabbed the wrong medication. So in their Pixis, in, in their medication dispensing thing, their labor and delivery drugs were right next to their anesthesia drugs. There was no separation between the two. So the nurse, instead of grabbing a bag of magnesium, grabbed a bag of rapivacaine. Didn't look at it in the hallway. Didn't look at it before it was hung. Didn't look at, at it before it was Don't bullet. they have to scan it? Because it was an emergent situation, it was not, Mm -hmm. it was just delivered. Um, But yes, typically you have to, there's all these checks and balances to make that stuff like this doesn't happen. 
But in emergency yeah. situations, people are frantic and hectic and exactly. Yeah. And that that's how it was. And so um I'm not sure if you're familiar with Repivacane or if our listeners are familiar with Repivacane. No, probably not. So go ahead and tell us a little about it. Okay. So Repivacane is one of the medications that they use um, in epidurals. It's an anesthesia medication um, that just helps, you know, it's an epidural. So it helps numb everything out. Um, but they cannot, these Repivacaine and these types of medications can absolutely not be put into the bloodstream without serious and significant effects. So, like, it's one of those things where, I mean, and, and lidocaine, you know, I mean, lidocaine is also one of those where if they're, if the doctors are doing a procedure, a lot of times they'll check to make sure that they're not in a vein because, right. you know, the effects are so serious. So the nurse grabbed the bag of Repivacaine and she hung it and bolused it. And from that point forward, I had two more seizures and was sent to ICU. Mm. Um, when they, they, I guess they wheeled me out of the room at this point in time. So what my husband had said was they wheeled me out of the room. They didn't tell him where I was going. They just took him out. They had taken the baby out. They took Ryan out of the room as well. So, and he was shuffled out into the hallway and he said there were two security guards that were placed in front of the door, in front of my door. Hmm. And so all this stuff was going on and he, there's no communication with him. So he sees the baby go out. He sees me go out and nobody has said anything. So he, he said he didn't know what to do. So he just went back in the room and he sat down and he just sat there and still nobody had said anything. Wow. So it was a while later. Um, I think a couple hours later, my doctor happened to walk past our room and she saw him sitting there and she said, what are you doing here? Like, why aren't you with Amanda? Where, what are you doing? And he said, I don't know where she is. Like they just took her. They took her and they took the baby. I don't know where they are. And she said, well, Amanda is in ICU. Let me take you up there. So he got up to ICU. Um, and he said that at that point in time, like they were, still admitting me and whatnot. And the ICU nurse checked what was hanging on the IV pole. And she saw that it was Repivacaine. And so she started, you know, asking questions like, what is this? Why is this? This is not a medication that should be hanging here. Is this in the, like, what is going on? 
because they had already pulled my epidural, you know? So why is this here? Mm -hmm. Why is it connected to her IV line? So it was at that point in time. So here we are about two and a half hours or so now. And that was the first time that a medical professional had noticed that I had received Repivacaine through my IV. And that's a long time for that bag to still be hung. Yeah. And it, I mean, when you bolus something, it oh, yeah. goes in fast. I mean, super fast. That's the whole point of a bolus is to get that medication into the body as fast as you can. So they, uh, the nurse, the ICU nurse caught it and said something. And anesthesia, I guess, came up there pretty quick. And there is an antidote for um, anesthesia, um, systemic anesthesia reactions. And so the anesthesiologist came up and she wanted to run the lipids, which is the anesthesia, or which is the antidote. But it had been two and a half hours since it was delivered. So at this point in time, the damage was done. Mm. You know, I mean, the antidote is something for any medications. If we have an antidote, we need to give it as soon as possible to decrease the risk of side effects and and everything. So what? Is the risk, I mean, what is the damage that it causes? So that is the lasting physical effects that I have. Um, I am still on anti-seizure medications. Um, I try, have tried to step off of them um, multiple times. And when I try to step off of them, I have seizures again. So I think... You know, we, once we were home, um, it was, I think two days later I had, um, a focal seizure, but again, nurses make the worst patients. And so I kind of brushed it off and I was like, it's fine. It's maybe just a rebound seizure. I don't know. So then the following day or yeah, the following day I had another one and it was a bad one. And my husband was like, you need to call like oh, yeah. call the doctor right now. So that opened a can of worms that lasted three months. I was hospitalized three separate times for seizures. I had one doctor tell me that, um, I needed to be put on um, Haldol, which is a medication that's used for schizophrenia mm-hmm. and has terrible, 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 like permanent lifelong side effects. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. So we found a neurologist that has really been a good, uh, like a, he's fantastic, but he's in Austin. We have to travel to Austin to see him. But, you know, I continued to have these seizures. And so here's my husband with three small children. One of them is a newborn trying to manage. We have families still coming in and out trying to help. And we didn't get anything controlled until um, Ryan was three months old. And it feels like those three months still were completely stolen 
yeah. completely fallen. Do you remember much of it? Yeah. I don't. I remember clearly Ryan's first tummy time. Um, newborn pictures are fuzzy. Um, some of the doctor's appointments that I do remember are fuzzy. You know, the majority of it I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that still to this day is heartbreaking. I had to stop breastfeeding because of the testing that they were doing and the medications. It was just, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And so really, I mean, thankfully we found something that has controlled the seizures and I can move forward, you know, with life and, and And the plan is just for you to stay on it for the rest of your life. Yep. Mm. Yep. Well, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to say that healing can happen. Yes, I am a testimony to that. And for now you have to do that for your body, but healing can happen, but that just, that's awful. Yeah, it was definitely traumatic. And so all of that to say, when I started, finally started to feel better, that's when I said, I'm going into maternal health as a nurse. Mm. Because we tried to seek legal recourse. um, Yeah, I was wondering um, about that. Yeah. So we tried to seek legal recourse and we talked to four different lawyers and the door shut for every single one of them. And by the third one that we met with, I was starting to feel like the Lord was leading us in a different direction because here's the thing. After this happened, we, my husband and I tried to find some sort of support Mm -hmm. somewhere, you know, and we couldn't find it. There was nothing available. I mean, the hospital called and to do a follow-up to see how I was doing. And I very fuzzily, if that's a word, (laughs) um, remember telling them, what happened and the response I got was, I'm so sorry that happened to you, but I'm glad you're feeling better. And I wasn't. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And there was no, there, there was nothing here in this community to help us through this, to, to, to walk with us, um, to help my husband, nothing. And so after, by the time we got to the third lawyer, I was like, Bottom line, this cannot happen. Mm-hmm. This this cannot happen to another mom. This cannot happen to another family. And that's not to say that it's not going to, but that was really the spark that has driven my desire to try to help women and moms in this stage of life, you know, and families and just be there for them because I didn't have that. And I needed that. I needed that. My husband needed it, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I started, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. Um, I started looking into different, um, like different organizations and, and ways I could become involved um, and have really just been doing that since then. Great. So what are some ways that you're involved? Um, so I had 
uh, once I was cleared by my neurologist, I did go back to the hospital and I went to the mother baby unit so that I could help both moms and babies um, rather than, you know, NICU, which is baby specific or labor and delivery, which is mom specific. I wanted to help both. So, and I'm currently still there, um, which I absolutely love. Um, so, but I just wanted to make a little bit of a difference there, like with my patients, one patient at a time, you know, like you had said, um, you know, one at a time, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And so it was something that I prayed about going into it. It was kind of like a last minute thing. I stumbled on a job fair, was able to go, got hired right away. Um, and about a month or two after I was hired, the hospital had started the uh, perinatal advisory committee. And there were a lot of um, different uh, policies and procedures that were trickling down from the state level and even the national level, because there had been studies that came out that had shown that maternal health care in the United States is one of the worst um, systems yep. in a developed country. Yep. And I felt like I was like, yes, this is I feel like I'm a walking testimony to this. And um, the the hospital had started the perinatal uh, perinatal advisory committee with other hospitals in all, in all of West Texas. So in about, I think there's like seven or eight of them. And their goal is to try to work together to implement the thing, the different policies and procedures that are coming down from the state and national level, which are all geared towards um, educating staff and making maternal health care safer. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, one of the things that the state was requiring hospitals to do was to have a patient representative um, on their committee. So I was approached this new nurse, uh, this that's new to the to the hospital. I was approached <laughs> by my director and she was like, hey, um, somebody had given me your name and thought maybe you would want to be our patient representative on our committee. And so it just felt like the Lord was really opening a door there. So I jumped at it and mm-hmm. am still able to do work with them, which is such a blessing. And, you know, there, there's so many things that need to be fixed, but it's really reassuring that there's a committee in place that represents the West Texas hospitals that they're, they're trying, you know, that's great. They're, they're trying. And uh, yeah. Sometimes the biggest thing is just recognizing that there's a problem Mm -hmm. um, first off and then being able to start, okay, what can we do to even fix it? What can we, what step can we make at all to make a difference? And I'm sure Mm -hmm. it's hard in large hospitals where they have so many, already so many policies and procedures and, you know, all these things set in place, like we said, you know, these things set in place that are to safeguard yet this still happened to you. So then you have to kind of go back and look, and I'm sure that's a big deal for them to go back and look like, how did this happen? What can we do to protect 
um, mamas in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is, you know, I mean, even the hospitals are little fish in a big sea when we're talking the United States healthcare system, you know, but yeah, I agree. Just recognizing that there's a problem and it, you know, it's reassuring that they are recognizing it and trying to fix it, that, that it's good to know that. Yeah, it is. You know, and, you know, I hope our listeners too can just see that they're, they're trying. If I can offer any bit of encouragement, you know, at at least they're trying, at least, you know, uh, it's not perfect, but it's being recognized. So that's fantastic. Um, So from that point forward, um, sitting on the perinatal advisory committee, um, like I said, it's just been such a blessing to be able to do that. And I had just continued to try to make strides. I'd reached out to the Preeclampsia Foundation and had um, gone to their one of their uh, seminars right before COVID, which put a halt to everything, but their seminar was really empowering and just been able to try to reach out, um, in the community. I have tried to reach out to different organizations here in Midland, um, and tried to even start one myself because I knew that something needed to be done to support moms and babies in traumatic situations. We have really good support for um, infant loss and miscarriage. We have nothing for moms. So moms who, moms who have experienced the trauma and babies. Okay. We don't, we don't have that stuff for moms, which is not okay you know? Mm -hmm. And I had reached out to Anthes. I sent them an email. So Anthes is a women's healthcare collaborative here in Midland. And I had reached out to them having heard really good things um, and just wanted to see if I could use their event space and how much it would cost to host a uh, birth trauma a support group meeting. Nice. We had been, I had been trying to do them online via zoom was not getting anybody. So I thought maybe now that COVID is starting to die down, maybe um, one being in person would be better. So I didn't hear anything back for several months, but God's timing is always perfect. Yes. You know? <laughs> so I had, Um, I got an email back and it said, Hey, has anybody responded to you about this? And I said, no, not yet. And so they, I kind of explained, you know, like what, um, what I was trying to do. And the manager at the time said, you need to come in here. Like, let's set up something in person. So I went there in person and I started to explain my story and really my desire and, and 
my desire to bridge this gap that there is from hospital discharge after having a baby to community. And there, you know, that, that gap in there where there's no support. And I'm just so blessed and so thankful. Um, they had brought me on staff almost immediately and it wasn't even one of those things. Like I started to explain my desires and the owner of Anthos just said, I have prayed for you. Mm. She said, I've been praying for a woman to come who has this deep desire. And so, like I said, it's just been such a blessing. And so um, through Anthos, I've been able to do uh, several things. So, Right now, I work there as a women's empowerment coach. So I became certified as a life coach. So that way I can talk to moms and help them through this postpartum period specifically, but also being able to talk to moms who are struggling with infertility, um, struggling with miscarriage, um, struggling through pregnancy and any type of fears or apprehensions, um, you know, and joys um, and just being prepared for babies, you know, to be able to work with women one-on-one and know that they're loved, know that they're supported and to be able to pray with them. I think that is just, that has been such a huge blessing to be able to extend that to these moms. Mm. Um, so, and then, um, we have opened up a postpartum support group, which is one of the things that I had been trying to do from the get go with the organization that I was trying to create, you know, I just wanted to be able to have this group setting. I wanted to be able to say to these moms, Hey, let's come together as we walk through the same season of life. And let's just support one another, you know, unconditionally, wholeheartedly, no judgment on the type of birth you had, no judgment on your feelings, what you're walking through. I just wanted to have this place where women could come and they would feel loved and supported, period. You know, nothing, you know. And how's the response been? Um, it's been, it's a new program, so we're still building it. Um, we have, uh, we had our first, uh, postpartum support group in November and the response was actually quite good. We're having another one that starts in January. It will be every Sunday evening in January up at Anthus, uh, for an hour and a half. So are you doing it every other month? Um, yes, every other month. Um, so the empowerment coaching, that is a one-on-one basis, and I'm currently taking appointments. Um, we've had a pretty good response to that. Um, I think there's also, just in my opinion, some fear, in, and there's this cultural opinion that you can't talk about postpartum mental health. Like, I, I've heard it said, you, ba- you care for the baby, but not for the mom. 
but the mom needs to be loved and cared for too. And so I think there's this cultural stigma. And everybody comes to see the baby and everybody asks how the baby's doing. And, you know, that's the focus the whole time in the postpartum and mom gets lost and that's really difficult. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And being able to empower these moms and just have, just really serve as a sounding board and, you know, again, to let them know that they're loved and supported and they have somewhere to go. So, um, I, like I said, I'm taking appointments for that right now. Um, last month we started a newborn baby care class that I also teach. Uh, it's a community education class at Anthos that just provides basic, basic education on how to care for babies. It's one of the Mm -hmm. other things that I've noticed working in the hospital. We get so busy that we have to rush through all this information at discharge. And it's like, okay, here you go. We're sending you home with this brand new baby and this brand new life. And if you're a first time parent, I remember that being super overwhelming with TJ. Mm -hmm. And so being able to offer a service where parents can come before baby is delivered or even after, you know, um, with a newborn baby, just coming and getting that information, things to watch for, when to call the doctor, you know, what's normal, what's abnormal, how to do basic cares, how to give a bath when the baby still has the umbilical stump, you know, just some of these things that we don't get an opportunity to really go through in detail in the hospital. Um, so, yeah. And in other cultures where, um, that are more extended family focused, I think a lot of new moms get that from the extended family, right? Like they, they, they are taught by their grandma or their mom and they come along beside them, you know, and help them. But our country does not have that focus and we have a very much a mentality of you can do it yourself and Mm -hmm. you know and you've got this and and so you know sure you're out of the hospital that means what you need to rest a few days and then you're back to it right that's something I don't know it's almost like a badge of honor oh I was back to work within this time frame you know or, or I was back to doing this or whatever and and we don't focus on the resting time and the teaching and that that learning curve that comes especially with newer moms but even you know I remember like there's so many things you forget from one child to the next and then when you have a newborn again you're like wait how do I do this (laughs) yes absolutely Uh, not to mention you just delivered and the last 24 48 hours have been a whirlwind and you're trying to take a cat crash course in newborn care yes and you have the lack of sleep and just all of the things. And yep. yeah, we desperately need women coming alongside other women and encouraging them and helping them, teaching them, walking alongside them. I mean, yes, absolutely. Man, I'm so glad that you've been able to get something going like that. That's wonderful. Thank you. And I really, you know, can't take a lot of the credit. I really feel like the Lord has positioned me in this way to help other moms. And that has brought me healing. Um, as I mentioned before, I still struggle with it. You know, I still have moments where, especially around Ryan's birthday, I'm like, okay, this was the day Ryan was born. And this was the day that I had a seizure and everything went downhill. Um, it's getting easier the older she gets, but to be able to know that 
there's a service that's being offered through Anthos that can help these moms and that we're trying to make strides and that, you know, we as a community are recognizing that moms deserve more moms deserve better. It's just really reassuring and really healing in that aspect. That's great. That's great. I love, uh, well, first of all, just the Lord leading you in that direction, but the healing that comes from being able to help others and, you know, you can't necessarily stop you know, what might happen in their situation, you know, in their delivery or, you know, what they've already gone through. But when, Mm -hmm. once they meet you, then you can help, you know, and change the direction or, you know, give so many tips and tools and, and just help in their healing process. And in turn, that's helping you heal. And I love that. I've experienced that myself too. um, Even just starting this podcast, um, so much has, has changed and, and helped. I feel the same way as you do when it comes to my son's birthday, same thing. Um, I remember, you know, that those things that happened, that's, that's, that's the day I was in excruciating pain. That's the day I ripped my pubis symphysis and, and tore up my pelvis, you know, um, and just all these things. Um, that come up, and even I'm glad we moved because I actually had trouble with even walking into our bathroom because that's where he was born. And I would like it used to be my calm place. I go take a hot bubble bath, you know, and and put on a candle, and it was my nice calm place. And after after that, it it was not my calm place anymore. Even even though now, you know, I think I would probably be okay with it now. Um, even though we don't live there because I've I've done been able to do a lot of work from a lot of help from a lot of women who, you know, have encouraged me and, and, you know, therapy and all kinds of different, you know, trauma help and, and work. And every time I interview somebody for this podcast, I learn something new and it's a new tool for myself as well. And I just am so thankful for it. So I love your encouragement on helping others because that's a tremendously gratifying way to, to work on your healing process. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I just love what you're doing with this podcast and giving moms a platform to share their story there. I just, there's so much empowerment in being able to share your testimony. And I really think that the Lord works through that and um, just encourages, I think there's this scripture in, I think it's in Corinthians. Uh, I can't remember if it's one or two, And it talks about how the Lord has given you strength. And with that same strength, you can use your testimony to strengthen others and support and comfort others how the Lord had comforted you. And so I think just what you're doing with this podcast is amazing and and really empowering moms and bringing that scripture to life, you know? Thank you. That's, that's the goal. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what it's uh, just kind of turned to. I, I think I, I mentioned on a podcast um, recently that, you know, I, I had contemplated for a while cause things got a little rough um, for me and I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't continue this podcast. And, and I, it was actually my doctor. He looked at me and he was like, um, the Lord did not put it in your hands for no reason. <laughs> and yes. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> okay. <Amen>. Okay. <laughs> 
I was yeah. like, I will, I will continue praying about that and continue in the work and see where it leads. And yeah, it's been a blessing to me to get to hear all these stories and to be able to contact all these moms or have them contacting me and just, just hear, I mean, we all have such a, a unity in what we've gone through and, mm-hmm. um, everybody is on some different spot in their journey and it's so neat that we can all glean something from each one of our stories and our and our healing process and I just I love it it's it's a blessing to me in order uh, to be able to do it yeah I just I'm I'm just so honored and so thankful that um, Melissa has brought us together that we can you know work towards um, making maternal health care better and, and letting these yeah. moms know that they are just so loved, so yeah. loved. And just helping one mom at a time. I think I remember saying that when I first started the podcast, I was like, if just one mom listens to it and it helps her in some way, then I've done what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm sure you feel that way too. If you just help just, just one mom make such a difference. Cause if you are that mom, that's a huge difference in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. Would you mind telling the listeners um, how can they contact you? Yes. So um, the best way to contact me and schedule um, is through the Anthus website, which is anthusmidland.com. And under services for coaching, you will see uh, women's empowerment coaching. You can click on that link, read my bio, and then schedule at the bottom. We have individual appointments available. And then um, we have recently started offering bundle packages um, where you can purchase more than one um visit scheduled more than one visit and it um, offers a discount with that um through the website you can also go to the support groups and that um, will bring up the postpartum support group and again you can sign up through there uh, and then the newborn baby cat class is also through the website as well. And we're actually going to be offering a new service. Um, We're going to be rolling it out, hopefully by the end of this week, uh, if not the beginning of next week, where um, moms and families can purchase a monthly subscription and I will go to their home to help educate, help with breastfeeding. Um, I will help bring them to and from their prenatal, um, their postpartum appointments so that they're getting that care, um, help with newborn um, appointments, just really taking all the services that we can offer and provide at Anthus and being able to bring that into the home uh, in two hour increments and just have that really individualized and in a setting where they are, you know, where they live. And so that way they can adapt already in the environment that they're in. Oh, I love that. That's perfect. That's, that's great to come into their homes and be able to do that. I think that's very needed. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, That's another need. You know, when um, I had Ryan, we really could have, we could have afforded to have a nurse come into our home and 
help my husband with education, right? Because we have this dynamic where my husband's like, well, you're the nurse, so you get to deal with all the medical stuff, which I kind of hate, <laughs> but yep. but that's that's the thing. So when I was out of commission, so to speak, he he could have used the help with baby care and he could have used the help with transition and he could have had someone just try just caring for me and checking in on me and making sure I was okay. So, um, hopefully this service will be able to provide that to moms and families that need it. That's great. And I'll make sure and link in the show notes. Um, so if you want to go click the link there, but otherwise um, to just spell that for you, that's anthusmidland.com. That's A-N-T-H-U-S Midland, M-I-D-L-A-N-D.com. And if you go look at the packages, you can find the women's empowerment coaching link and um, be able to contact Amanda um, if you happen to be in the Midland or Odessa area. Yes, Absolutely. Any last words of advice that you'd like to give maybe any mamas who are dealing with a traumatic birth that they had right now and they're in the postpartum, um, anything you'd like to share? Yeah, I just want to let you know that you're not alone and you don't, you don't have to walk this by yourself, that there are other moms out there that want to support you that want to love on you and want to help you through this season. And, you know, we're here for you. There's a lot of moms that are here for you. So whatever you need, whatever you need, there's no shame in out. Yeah. We're not meant to do this alone. Yep. Yeah. We're meant to, to be together and, and, and come together as a family and community. And, and um, that's so vitally important and needed right now. And absolutely reach out if you're a mama in that, it can be easy when you're uh, having lack of sleep and you're just constantly taking care of this newborn, yet you have all this stuff that you need to talk about or deal with or, you know, or even just are struggling at all that please reach out. Um, You can, there are people um, in your area willing to help. And if you don't know how to contact them, you're welcome to reach out to me and I'll help find somebody in your community. Reach out to your midwife, your provider. Um, We will be glad to help you find um, those people in your community that um, can come together and, and support you in this time. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, Amanda, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, Look forward to talking to you again in the future and just really appreciate your sharing your story and your words of wisdom for our listeners. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your creator. So be who he created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time, shalom.